You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. Yes, folks, it is November. Yes, only the time is clocking. Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat. Black Friday is over and I'm sure many people have ended up in the emergency awards for a broken finger, a broken toe or a broken heart. They didn't get the cheap gift that they wanted to get. But as we move on, we are all knowing that there is something blowing in the air and it is called a recession. But as I have lived through many recessions and I have come out shining on the other end, they are something that does not close, stop or shut a business. It only makes us re-equip ourselves, our mind and our business to thrive. And this week, again, we are calling in many wise people from across the land. Yes, the USA. And we have Doug Brown. When I say a leader, a man that is helping a certain industry have manners. And when I say manners, I say the law society. Yes, you shunder in shock. My God, these people don't have manners. They just want us for all the good things that we can possess. But Doug is a man. He's a leader. He is actually a coach, a consultant, and he is going to share his words of wisdom with us today. Doug, welcome to Dublin South FM. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Joe. So happy. So happy to be here. That's quite a tee up. <laughs> yes, that's off the cuff, as they say, <laughs> off the cuff. I should have been a songwriter, my wife said. <laughs> Very lyrical. <laughs> Doug, yes. Um, you know, we spoke before on, um, on True LinkedIn and we sort of caught up, you know, we... We, call it, we, we realized we're intuitive and we have a lot in common. And some of the stuff that we do have in common is about helping others and it's about leadership and it's about understanding. And, you know, with yourself coming from, a, you know, a law, a law background and then switching to being a consultant to help business owners develop their own company. Tell me why you switched from, being to doing or doing to being, which whichever way you want to put it. <laughs> you know, I, I I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and, you know, I, I went to law school because it seemed like it was the right thing to do and I was really good at it. And then I practiced for a number of years, but my heart's always been in business and helping helping people like get to where they really want to go. So I, I practiced law with a firm for a number of years. And then I had the chance to go in-house at a... Uh, uh, a logistics and supply chain company in the United States, which was then bought by Kuna and Nagel. Some of your listeners may may know them in, in Europe as being a big logistics company. And that gave me lots of opportunities to work on the business side of things, uh, sales and marketing and, and um, human resources and all that stuff. So I made that switch from the law into the running a business in a corporation and having some global roles. And then um, speaking of, you know, times of recession, it was uh, late mid-2008. I left the firm thinking I'm going to go start my next thing. And then September of 2008 happened, which is, I think, the two times ago that we put ourselves into recession. And that led me to an opportunity to teach innovation, leadership, and entrepreneurship at a master's level for adult students. And that was that's where I learned how to actually teach everything I had learned. And so from there, 
Um, so that was the transition, right? It was going from being a practicing lawyer to being an in-house lawyer, um, then to teaching. And that honestly led me to consulting because I couldn't support a family of five on a professor's salary. So that's when I went into consulting and coaching. Um, and working, I found following my own advice and finding my lane of helping lawyers and solicitors with the stuff they didn't really learn in law school, which is how to manage people, how to develop a strategy, how to sell, how to actually run a law business was just a, a terrific um, angle for me to, to be in doing my business on. So that, that's why I decided to focus um, in that area. It's interesting because most people, they go out and they do a course or they, you know, they come out of college and they've got all this wealth of information and they believe that they are going to thrive in the world. And some people decide to go and start their own business. But there are parts of starting your own business that you're not taught. And that is correct, 100 percent. And a lot of people jump in and they sink fairly quickly because they realize it is harder than they actually taught to actually get a business up and running. And it's really humbling and frightening. You, 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 you're a subject matter expert in whatever it is you're a subject matter expert in, the, the law or whatever you do, and you're starting your own business. Well, you go from being an expert to being a beginner like that, but you're used to being an expert and making that shift in a mindset to learning those things without the frustration that comes along with it, that's a that's a big shift. And it's especially important when you're trying to surround yourself as a new leader, an entrepreneur, or somebody who's taking over an existing business with the right people. Um, so that's it's a it's a big shift and it's frightening because you know, I used to tell my entrepreneurship students who were adult learners, they were out five years at least from college, and many much longer. Saying, well, you want to be an entrepreneur? So, and they would say, so I can have control of my own schedule and have time freedom and not have to deal with, with bosses. I'm like, well, that's fine. As, as long as you realize that all your customers and your employees are actually your bosses and you're willing to work all the hours you're awake, you're on the right path. Yeah, it's, it's when they say, oh, it's, I want freedom and I want to choose my hours. Oh, so you want to be able to take two days off a year. Wonderful, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the truth is that that we we see the entrepreneurs as successful who have been through the crucible and they have those things. What we don't see is all the years of struggle when they were trying to find the path that was right for them. And that's the that's the thing that's tough about getting started. It takes a long time. You're starting again. It's a whole new skill. That's a it's a 5-year cycle. Um, and it can, and some company people, depending on the industry, could be 10 years. And the one thing that there's a couple of things that companies fail in the first five years. And one is they run out of money. And the second thing is that they don't have enough, enough customers or they can't find, they haven't found their niche that they're looking, trying to home into. Um, and a lot of companies get mixed in, especially when they are trying to start a business. They think that they need to be everything. And they need to have all the whistles and all the bells and all the shiny objects to be successful. And they forget that they get clouded in this mist that the only real thing that they need to have is one message. Focus on one message. 
and that one message down is a deliverable to what the other person needs. Does that make sense? It makes sense, and it's true. I, I, I would always remind aspiring entrepreneurs that, and ask them the question, what, what one product did Amazon get started with? And of course, it was books, and they got really good at that. And then they did everything else. And, and having personally experienced, if you try to be everything to everyone, you're no but nothing to anybody, which is why like when I talk, get out and talk in the world, I'm talking to a specific audience that's lawyers who are successful, who are trying to make the business not all revolve around them. Do I have other clients? Sure. But I'm not out talking about them because then my message is diluted. So if somebody, and, and that's, this is where I, when I'm working with clients say, well, what if somebody who's not in my niche comes along? Well, if they come along and you can help them and not distract yourself, nothing to keep you from working with them. But if you don't have a specific message, then it's going to, you're not going to attract anyone. But there's one thing about niche. And you've said it. a lot of people believe that, you know, we need to be in a niche, which we do because it's. The, the the words that we use it's the communication and it helps that connection but if someone does come along that's not in the niche you don't turn and go oh no i don't deal with you because you're not in my niche bring them in because you you should be having a learning experience all the time with all your clients and they, as they're learning you should be learning as well so take you know take everything that you can really well, take everything. I mean, for, for those who are out trying to um, grow their business, um, there's this fine line. You have to have clear criteria on which clients are good clients and which ones are the clients from hell. Because the temptation when you're struggling and in a time of recession, you might feel like you're struggling is to take anything that comes over the door with a pulse and a checkbook. And the problem with that is those, if they don't meet enough of the criteria, they will be more distraction for you energetically, um, focus-wise, resources-wise, and you're less likely to make money on them. So while you might have the revenue coming in, if they don't fit your model or your profile of a great client, then it might feel like you're making money, but you're not actually making money. So you have to know when, you know, be very clear on what you want. Um, because I can't tell you the number of people I've worked with who, when we do this exercise, like x-ray their client base, and I ask them to profile, like, how did you get that client from hell? I was desperate. Yeah. The, the, the one thing, when you, when you take someone on out of desperation, and believe me, there's companies out there that would need, they need it to get the cash flow going. But, but they also need to understand that if they take them on, that they might not be a client. You might end up just being an employee of them. And and that's the hard thing. I learned that lesson, a, you know, a long time ago in business. You know, we, we were just starting off and we got a client who, who would, came to us and they were often, I think it was 15,000 to do some work. And that th we needed the money. Okay, start company starting off when 15,000 arise on you. And we went, I looked at it and I went, okay, we need this money. This could really help us. But then I looked at, if we do take this guy on, I will then be, because I could suss him out 
I will then be an employee and my stress levels and I knew it was going to be a nightmare. And I made that decision not to take the deal. The money would have helped us. Looking back, it was the best decision that I ever did, Doug. Mm-hmm. And the reason, it takes courage to make that yeah, decision. Yeah, yeah. And the reason, because I knew we were on the right track. I knew our services were spot on. I knew the value we were offering. So it wasn't, I was saying, we'll get someone else. We will get someone else. If I had taken that on, I probably would have had a nervous breakdown and wouldn't be here today in the business that I'm in. <laughs> and, and that's such an important lesson, Joe, because when you're in the heat of the moment, it's so easy to focus on the problems that revenue would solve without thinking as clearly about the downsides of it. That's, that's a lot of the work I've, I'm doing with people is, is being that sounding board where they'll call and they'll be all excited about this big deal. Like, okay, great. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Tell me how you've thought about these three other things. And sometimes they've thought about it and it's a like, great decision. Other times at the end of the conversation, they'll start questioning themselves. And then later they'll say, thanks, I wouldn't, I might've taken that deal or I might've done that thing. I might've fired that employee and then be faced with a lawsuit if I had, hadn't had a chance to think about it differently. Yeah. The, the other part of that as well is pricing a job because that's your figure and losing the job, the contract, because you were somewhat overpriced, knowing that the person was even the right person but kind of going okay i've stuck to this this is our figure this is what we're getting this person says no look i I, too dear and you kind of you can kind of sit back and go oh god if i just had a lower price i would have got that but you kind of have to go these are my guns these are the things that i'm sticking to and the value that i'm offering as well so there's there's multiple do you know anyone there's who, a lot of things yeah like do you know a lot of people going into business a lot of people listening to this do you know i would say to people everything is easy and you need one thing and you know you need that you need to have the structure and the behaviors and the processes i gotta say it's like it's like milking a cow you know little, just these little udders that you have to be squeezing all the time you know to to produce the milk, you know, it's not just one thing. It's, you know, <laughs> analogy. What an um, analogy there. That's, a, <laughs> that, that's um, I'm not sure I can get that picture out of my head. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's so many things that you have to do once you're running your own business. And so many things you have to pay attention to that you will default as a leader to the technical skills you have when that may or may not be the right tool. You know, if all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. And, and sometimes you're not focused on the things you need to focus on, which is why having, you know, a trusted advisor structure around you who are going to tell you what you need to hear and ask you the right questions is so essential, not just for an entrepreneur, but for a leader, because we can get enamored with our story and our view of the world. And then we're great. We'll convince ourselves that we're right. But if you have the right people around you, they can ask you questions, even ones that make you uncomfortable, so that you can make a better decision. And that's especially important. You mentioned at the head of the show about the idea of a recession. 
that's especially important in a recession when everybody's terrified. Um, there's opportunity, but the first 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 feeling is fear. I, I, I can tell you, um, just you'll agree with this. There's two levels. One is there's a starting business, so they're trying to do everything and get everything right, and they have a couple of team. And but then you have the other level, which we both work with as well. The person who has a successful business and they're they're the head, and it's a lonely spot, and everyone's looking for them to pay the mortgage, and you know they're looking at the figures and they're looking that the business is running smoothly, and they're screaming, and they're screaming for two reasons. One is they're kind of going, "How the hell did I get here? Could all fall apart tomorrow? Am I doing the right thing?" There's that doubt that's coming in, and I'm lonely. I, I I walk out and everyone sees me as the MD and, you know, everyone goes, oh, there's the MD, he's brilliant. But I've known to turn in the company and go, I just want to scream. Because at times we are human and we just want to scream and go, what the hell is going on? Oh, and Joe, I lived that. There is There are a few lonelier jobs than being an entrepreneur or the the CEO of, of an organization. Um, one of my lonely ones, I was actually the executive director of the State Bar Association in Connecticut. So I had 10,000 lawyers as bosses. That was an adventure. Um, and so, yeah, you, you have this self-doubt. Everybody's depending on you. And then the people that you have who are working for you even if they want to tell you the truth, maybe they can't. And then, you know, sometimes your spouse doesn't want to hear it. So where, do you, where are you going to go for that perspective? And that's a challenge. When you're a new entrepreneur, everybody expects you to struggle. So there's lots of help available. But when you are, quote, successful, um, there's actually this weight that you have because of the your, your success. People think you've got your stuff together, but you don't. You might, but you're worried about your house falling. People are looking at you with envy, you know, oh, there he is. So, you you know, the MD comes out of the law firm, the big you know company and goes down to the coffee dock and gets the sandwich and, you know, everyone. And he, so he has to wear the emperor's clothes, you know, to show that he is, <laughs> right. you know, the top dog, right. but he's really naked. And there's another analogy that we're throwing in, you know, that it's really that he's just innocent. And he he needs Doug or Joe, you know, needs those people to kind of be able to say, look, what's next? And it, one of the things as well is for me personally, I, I said this, you know, I've lived through multiple recessions. I've lived through you know the gulf wars remember the gulf wars i can even go back i can even remember now i was only a child when we were the iran crisis when we had to queue up for petrol at the right and i was speaking to someone the other day yesterday actually i was speaking to someone and i was telling them about some strategies in, in business what we used to do and what we're implementing today and you know what he said to me he says, oh, my God, Joe, that is old school. And I went, no, it's not really old school. It's business. He goes, no, that's old school. 
He says a lot of the people we're dealing with now won't talk to customers, only will communicate through text. They've lost the ability of creativity. He says, like some of the stuff that you're telling me, God, we should we'll be introducing these things back in to our business because no one's doing them anymore. And I'm looking, well, I tell all my clients to do this. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, you know, every generation seems to think the generation behind them is, you know, fundamentally different. And yes, a lot of things have changed. The stuff, the way we approach the world is a product of our life experience, like you described. Those who are in the workforce who are in the millennial generation or thereabouts, I mean, I guess when they started off, we'd be like, oh, those millennials. Well, now those millennials are in their mid-30s, right? <laughs> They're the people we need. So we have to figure out how do we communicate with them and recognize that the technology may have changed, but the fundamental human need for connection, for belonging, for understanding, for having a common mission um, you and I know that salary is like number 11 on the list of things that are most important to keeping employees. Near the top is a sense that they're making a difference and belonging. And interestingly, that's what millennials want. Yet, most leaders are stuck in the industrial revolution trying to use the techniques that were only marginally effective them. So, so when I think old school, I think human. Like, what's, what are, the, what are the, the skills and things that people through all times have needed? And how do we help our leaders connect with those things? You know, you, you look at reports and if we jumped online, you go, what, what do the, the generations want? And they want to feel valued. You know, they want to be heard. But that goes back as for centuries, people wanted to be valued and people want to be heard. Because, you know, the one question that people want to know is what is my purpose? Now, there's multiple purposes that we have as we go through life. but it's that connection and that CEO or that top executive or that entrepreneur who's caught up in how do I get business in? How do I survive? They need to rely and relate to their staff, to the people around them and communicate because when you speak or when you talk out loud to someone about your problem, something internal happens that it actually it's like a pressure valve that it's been released and it's not as bad as what you thought it would have been in your own head. You know, those, Joe, those successful entrepreneurs, one of the challenges, especially in difficult times, is their business gets so big that they can't personally control everything anymore. They can't spend the time to pass along the culture or the understanding and have the lunchtime conversations. So now they have to figure out how do they pass that along to their teams that's beyond just their own abilities? And one of the problems is letting go and recognizing that because you've been the center of the wheel for so long. The other is recognizing where does your team have different shared life experiences than you expect? Um, one um, coach, I'm coaching because all good coaches have coaches, is... <laughs> is um, you're talking about a potential, um, a, a client of his who had a situation where his staff was, did something that was 
innocently insensitive to their population. Right? They got dressed up for Halloween, and that and that that they're that was insensitive to the the people they were serving. And the the client was very frustrated. But what what we what we revealed is his perception of what would be a Ritz Carlton kind of experience. He was expecting from people who'd only been to a Motel Six, and and so <laughs> a low end budget chain. I don't know if you have Motel Six there. Yeah, no, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll five star or three star or two five star, star or one star, star one star or, or, or yeah. no star or no star. Yeah. So the leader's job isn't to just beat on the person to say you got to do better, but help them understand what is the experience that they want to be delivered. So that per, you tap that person's desire to deliver that experience. And that's not about processes or procedures. I mean, yeah, they're important, but it's about um, making that connection with your employees and, and motivating them. And most importantly, in a recession, Joe, I think the leader's most important job is to create this zone of safety where people um, are free to do their work. What I'm picking up from it and what I've spoke about before as well, Doug, would be when we look at systems and processes, the systems and processes are the things that need to be fixed, not the people. Because sometimes it's the people are only following the systems and the processes, and that's what's causing the problem. So if you know that you have good people in place and it's about that self-awareness and being aware about everyone. So good leadership is about awareness. And if we then can evaluate what we need to do as a leader to help the people, and if that's adjusting the system and the process, that things will thrive. Now, let's jump into 2023 and let's look at at a recession, okay? Companies are kind of going, oh, my God, we're panicking and whatever. And the one thing I will say to any company that wants to grow in 2023 is look after your clients. Look after, you know, customer care. Go above and beyond for your existing clients that you have at the moment. Also look at how you can upsell certain extra products or service to your existing clients but if you look after your clients in 2023 they will then be the best sales marketing for you as we come out of the recession as well yeah i think that's i think that's right and i think that to to extend that idea it's more than delivering what they expect for your product or your service. It's about recognizing that your clients, even if it's a big company, are humans, they're people, they're afraid, they're nervous. So the more you can communicate with them, listen to them, understand what their issues are, so they have the experience that this this consultant, this company, this provider has a human connection with me, that's worth more than, yes, I delivered everything on time, but I was so focused on my operations, I didn't pay any attention to you as a person. And and it's that personal connection. I mean, people only do business with people they know, people they like, and people they trust. 
And that's about the experience you provide. In, in my business, in the law business, when we look at how lawyers get in trouble with clients, and I, I'm, I'm in the United States, I'm sure it's the same in other places, it's not they got a bad result. It's they didn't communicate. They didn't, they didn't create an experience where somebody believed they were heard. Sometimes, and, and so you think that doing the thing you're paid to do is enough, and it's not. It's, yeah, like in, if you look at law firms, it's billable hours, okay? Um, and that is, I think a lot of them are changing there now as well. But, you know, we if you look at which people, most people will know. Well, that's how hours. law firms measure themselves. That's not yeah. how they're measured by their yeah. clients. Yeah, but that's <laughs> how they measure. And it's about that, that communication that if every business picked up and asked their existing clients and just rang them and say, look, how are you getting on? Is there anything we can do? And the people go, no. But that even that one phone call will be, wow, I wasn't expecting that. You know, there's sometimes the smallest things can have the greatest effect. You, yeah. Yes, positive and negative. Yeah. You know, Joe, the other thing as you get into, it, yes, taking care of your clients and customers. and you can't do that if you don't take care of your people. And so the knee-jerk reaction when we feel a recession coming is, I need to cut expenses. Maybe I need to cut people. And I need to you know, stop investing in things. And those are three of the worst things you can do. It's, it's not that you need to be blind to it, but you need to really think long and hard about, okay, maybe I don't make that higher I was planning, but now I need to give more support to my team so they have more capacity because we still have work to do. And, and when you, the companies that have found, the leaders that have found opportunity in recession are not operating from a place of fear. They're, they've gotten through that and they're operating saying, All right, where are there opportunities that I can shift my messaging, provide a little bit different of a service or a product? And those are the ones that will emerge victorious because those they will be ahead of those who say i'm going to go into my bunker and and wait for the storm to pass a tree will fall on them and they won't get out of the bunker <laughs> <laughs> or the bunker will fill with water <laughs> i'm paraphrasing here now um there was a company big large company in the states and when covid came they were panicking and they had to make a decision would we let x amount of people go so instead of letting people go, the top executives said, okay, we'll reduce our days to four-day week pay, and we won't take any holidays. And anyone that gives back to holidays will be able to, who doesn't take holidays, will be able to use that fund whatever way we need. And the whole company swung together under 200 staff or whatever no one was let go and they actually made more profit and bigger sales in those two years than ever before and the management team put it down to that they showed that extra care for the staff and the staff worked harder for success yes and an important part of that the reason i suspect that that worked is they communicated with their people as if they were adults and shared with them, this is the situation. 
this is our mission. Here's what we're going to try to do. And they didn't do what bad leaders do, which is said, we can't trust them with information. We have to keep everything really tight. And then, we, then we'll tell them. Because if you do that, they, the people will make up stories. And they'll make up stories that are generally far worse than the facts. So you need to have a leader needs to have that relationship of trust and a certain level of open communication with their staff so that they get that loyalty, they get that trust. You mentioned a couple of times communication. So we know that communication is very important. <laughs> we all just be staring at each other if we didn't. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Pause, long pause. Um, is it an issue that you come across regularly within the industry of the people that you're coaching that they are lacking those skills, even though communication is a huge part of their industry? I think it's applying skills to particular situations. So when my people, lawyers, are in a structured environment, a court. There are rules of communication, and everybody knows the rules, and you play the rules of the game. Because that's how you've been trained. When you're talking about employees, that's not how the lawyers have been trained. And the skills you use in a courtroom to advocate to a judge are, are counterproductive. They're not really listening skills, they're transmitting skills. And where I see people get stuck is they feel like, as you said a few minutes ago, they feel like they have to have the answer, so they'll stop listening. And it's that listening that's just as important. I, I see lawyers who will put off, they'll, they'll, if they have an adversary, they will do tremendous in court. But if they have to have a conversation with their legal assistant about how their work isn't up to snuff, they won't do it because they're afraid. They don't know how to do it. They don't want to make it worse. What if they leave? Meanwhile, all that person wants is to know us. how they're doing. What? What happened if they sue us? Or, or worse yet, yeah. or they'll talk to them as if they're in court, and then the person's like, yeah, I'll see you in court. <laughs> yeah. so, so they have communication skills, but it's applying the skills and listening to different situations where they don't either have the training or the experience. So what they what do they do? They talk like a lawyer. You, you said at the beginning, talking about, um, I, I forgot the word you used about teaching lawyers to be nicer. It's, it's not that they're not nice people. It's that they're, they're communicating in the way they know, which is I'm an advocate. I know what the right answer is. I'm going to go get the right answer. And I won't take no for an answer, which is great if you're in court. Not so great when you're trying to be a leader. I think that one of the best things, uh, another analogy is on stage. You know, a court is on stage. You know, you have your script, you have your gowns, and then over here you have your gowns, and, you know, everyone is standing in their place, and you have legalese, language, and then when they come off out of that public arena, then there's someone else. So it's, okay, this is your hat for your, as an actor, and this is your hat as an entrepreneur, and this is your hat as a HR, and they have to have all those different hats. And they all are different parts and all different communication as well. And you know, Joe, it's not just lawyers. If you're an, if you're an engineer, you communicate like an engineer. If you're a salesperson, you communicate like a salesperson, which oftentimes drives the engineers crazy. 
<laughs> so, so it's, it's whatever your profession and your experiences is your default way of communicating. And the great leaders are aware of that, are aware of how their team needs to receive communication. It's like being tuned into the same frequency. And that's where the leaders who really excel at matching the frequencies, that's where they get their teams in alignment. And that's where uh, it helps them survive in a recession. Well, that's the next question I want to ask you. So look, recession, you know, listening skills. So what are you saying to, you know, your clients about coming into 23? What advice are you giving them so they can, you know, move forward? And are a lot, are any of them seeing a bit of a slowdown as well? I'd be interested in that. Well, right now, what I'm seeing in the United States, and we're recording in early November of 22, is there is more than enough work to go around. There are not enough people to do the work. So people need to do more in less time, and then they're burning out. And I think there's this notion that a slowdown is concerned that a slowdown is coming. And it's hard to think about that when you're busy, you know, putting coal in the motor kind of thing. Um, I think that. What I'm encouraging them to do is to take a look at what is your workload a month or two months out? How does that match up with your resources? Because most people will look at their work coming in like, what do I have right now? Or they might look out 30 days. But every business needs to look out with the work you're doing and say, well, what's my pipeline of work coming in? How secure is it? How might a recession impact that order or that intention? Um, how might the a recession impact my supply chain to deliver that order? And that's the challenge when you're really busy. You don't have the bandwidth to to look ahead. You're you're looking. It's like you're you're going fast through a fog, but when the fog clears, you have to know what's coming. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, you know, we can talk ourselves into a recession. People can say, oh, recession, and then everyone just freezes and suddenly there's a recession. And and if you're talking yourself into that recession, then that energy that you are producing mightn't have the true conviction that you're trying to do because you're fearful of a recession. So I think there's a fine line about what I normally do and have done in the past when there was a recession on, I ignored it. I ignored it in a way because I wasn't going to let my energy feed on it. So I would ignore it and get my head down and work really hard because if you do that and keep all that negative talk out of the way around the water cooler, you've got better chance of coming out of it at a greater success. I, I think that's right. It's perhaps where you are, but certainly United States, all the news wants to talk about is recession and the, the world, sky is falling, the world is coming to an end. It doesn't serve you to pay close attention to that because there are certain as, there are certain industries that thrive in a recession. So, so let, let's use our brains and not our fear and look at how does, how might this recession actually affect me? What does it actually mean? And, and recession's a label. All a recession is, 
I mean, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no economist, is slowed growth. So it, you label it whatever you want, but what does it mean to your business and how are you going to respond? And I, I use the word respond on purpose because most people are reacting. Reacting is a mindless act. Responding is a learned act. It's something you do based on the facts. True. So a good approach is let's not just assume the sky is falling. Let's get the facts. What has a recession meant for my industry and my business in the past? How have people responded well or badly? And how can I model those who've responded well? But it requires that you take a step back from your business and think a little more strategically than being stuck in the trenches. The average recession lasts between 10 months and 18 months. Okay. So we've had the Gulf recession. We had just most recessions that you look about 10 months time. You know, if you want to go back the last couple of hundred years, they, they happen every 10 years on and off. And you're looking at around, say, eight months. Now, here's the thing. If you bury your head in it, when you come out of that, you'll be the last to come out of that recession. Because you're going, oh, we're not doing anything. There's a recession. We're bad. But if you go into it and focus and push, you'll be the first. You'll make business in it, but you'll be the first to spring out of it quicker than everyone else as well. And I think that's the entrepreneurial skill set that businesses need to have is remember that, that they don't last forever, as you said. You know, it's just a, a slowdown, but they only last a short time as well. And the, the job of the entrepreneur is to find the opportunity where others can't see it. You're, you're up, you should be thinking, like looking at the facts and saying, where is there an opportunity here? And then not to be blindly optimistic, but be pragmatically positive and say, all right, here's an opportunity. I'm going to give it a try. And you will rally your team around that. Because people would rather be building towards something than playing defense. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. We've run out of time. We've run out of time. Oh, no, it goes fast. That was fast. What is the one insight that you would like to share with our audience? The Doug Brown insight of 2022. There we go. I think the the insight of 2022 going into 2023 is that you can't control the world around you, but you control how you respond to it. Use this as a time to find an opportunity and don't try to do it by yourself. There's no special award at the end of the day for he or she who win it alone. All the successful people have a team of people around them who will tell them the truth. And the number one thing you can do to get ready for 2023 is make sure you've got your team. Good mindset, you know, focused, quiet mind as well. And step away from everything and, you know, grab a pen and paper and switch the computer off and the tablet and step away with a pen and paper and sit in silence and you'll get the best idea that you need to move forward as well. Where can people reach out to you, Doug, if they want to give you a big shout? I know that you're, you're, you know, you've done a few interviews and you're, you write some great stuff on LinkedIn as well. So if people want to re reach out to you, where should they connect? Well, I'll, I'll give you the LinkedIn, my LinkedIn handle on, on the show notes. 
Um, people can visit my website at dougbrownjd.com um, and uh, or at summit success summit-success.com. I'll give you all that stuff for the show notes. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I've got a, a LinkedIn newsletter I'm doing and a bunch of podcasts I've done on these topics. And I just had so much fun with you today. Thanks so much. Perfect. And thanks for coming on the show. What if you could have a sustainable business without the liquidity concerns and make your company more profitable? Curious? Check out our tried and tested proven client acquisition formula. Go to www.joedalton.ie and book your free consultation now.